Welcome on Relating Listeners. Thanks for joining us today. So today we have an interview with Dr. Angelique Millette. She is an amazing clinical psychologist, parent coach specializing in postpartum depression and sleep training, uh, behavioral issues with children. She brings an extraordinary amount of centeredness, uh, clinical expertise, and just heart. She is a wonderful person to just listen to. I just loved asking her the real uh, pointed questions uh, about her methods and what she's, particularly what she's learned uh, or, or what, what, what has been confirmed o- over the course of the last year during this, uh, these particular conditions of the pandemic. She lays out three uh, really wonderful, clear takeaways from, from the pandemic that uh, I believe will be really, really helpful to all you parents out there and even those that are considering being parents or those who are in relationship with children. Uh, the, the takeaways are simply that children are amazingly resilient and that's what the pandemic has really showed us, uh, if we had any doubt around that matter. And secondly, that uh, screens can be a very deleterious to child development. And she spells out how, how we can wean children off and maybe ourselves as well off of screens. And thirdly, she, she discusses the, the importance, uh, as she sees it, of parents actually being able to move with children, to be with children through all of their emotional ups and downs and cycles that they many didn't have to do that when children were in school and she sees really the benefit of that for the for the child's development so that's a little bit not a nutshell of what we discussed but there's a lot of other pieces there and i really hope you enjoy and uh, without further ado dr angelique millet All right. Well, welcome, Dr. Angelique Millette. It's really it's such a such a, a joy to have you here. I'm really excited for you to drop your your wisdom on on the people. You got a lot. Oh, of thanks, thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Yeah. So, um, could you just introduce yourself for for the listeners? Um, just uh, what you what you do in the in in the world, and then and how you how you got into it. Sure. So I started working with families uh, 25 years ago as a midwife and doula, and uh, I became really interested in uh, postpartum mood disorders and how families transition to parenthood and and becoming parents, new baby. And so I started to study uh, maternal health, mental health, and of course, sleep in infants. And because I saw sleep as the, like a big door that parents would uh, get to a point where they were just so sleep deprived that they were willing to try anything um, to shift that dynamic and get help. Uh, so I started to look at all the sleep research and I was surprised to find out that most of it looked at only a sleep training method called cry it out. Mm. And as a child psychologist, it was deep in my research of studying attachment I was just surprised that there wasn't a lot more out there about attachment-based sleep resources or sleep methods, or frankly, any research that looked at how a child's attachment changed when they went through a sleep program. 
uh, interestingly, that those studies still are really scarce and they barely exist. So uh, I got really into sleep, into pediatric sleep and family sleep. I just saw it as this, uh, that when families became so sleep deprived that they reached out for help, that there was an opportunity to really resource this family and teach them a lot about their baby's behavior and give them some tools for helping um, interpret what their babies needed around sleeping and feeding and settling and all those different needs that babies have. Uh, and then I got into uh, working as a child psychologist with a specialty in play therapy and Santray and non-directed child therapy, which was just fantastic because it now opened up this toolbox of like, oh, wow, a two-year-old in a session is going to use play and art and Santray to do their work. They might not have the verbal skills to do it, but they're going to find ways in that therapy, the therapeutic setting to show me what they need. So it was, it's been like this path of uh, looking at sleep through the, through a very different lens, looking at family dynamics and and family health and bonding and attachment um, through this, uh, you know, what, what, what's going on in this family where they, uh, uh, they deserve some support to get through this. Um, what needs does this baby or young child have that uh, for the, a first-time parent or any parent for that matter, um, I can be a conduit or a helper to show the parent what that little one needs and speak for them and also help the parent hold their own mix of feelings that they're experiencing. It could be depression or sadness, anxiety, loss, regret, shame their own history. Uh, so, so sleep has really been the overarching theme through all this. Uh, and I developed a toolbox of sleep methods that really meet the family where they're at their age and stage appropriate. So I can really work for the span of, of age, stage temperament. Uh, it allows me to really work through multiple cultural, social dynamics uh, which has been a great way to work because I'm then I'm able to work with wonderful clients from all over the world. We've 50% of the families I work with are outside of the U.S. Families from India, China, Japan, Korea, hmm. who coincidentally China has the highest rates of postpartum depression in the world. 80% of mothers in China have postpartum depression. Hmm. So I wanted this toolbox, this new paradigm to really understand sleep and family functioning that could really just blast open um, to all these other ways of thinking about sleep and family. So, um, and the, the toolbox allows me to do that and allows me to work with a wide range of families. Uh, so the work I'm uh, doing with families is mostly telehealth. We've been doing telehealth for 10 years. We do also provide home visits in specific locations, but the telehealth allows us to work with families from all over the world. And then we're able to collect data uh, via assessment. I think it's always interesting just to know how a sleep consultant or behavioral therapist or developmental therapist or parent coach works. We collect a lot of data so I can understand through assessment and survey and 
parent observation, even some video of the child interacting with the parent, and even the child, if it's a breastfeeding baby, I'm a lactation educator watching how baby comes to feed, will let me know a lot about that relationship. So I can use that data to create really specific, individualized um, sleep approach or sleep method and then behavioral methods that are going to work specifically for that family. Wow. It's such satisfying work. It must be. Yeah. It, there's never a dull moment. And <laughs> this for sure the last year has, has uh, just been uh, challenged every notion about my work. That's a great segue into, I mean, there's so many, when you talk, I mean, there's just, there's so many points of entry I have to say, I'm just like, I mean, I just, you just breeze through just, um, yeah, just so so many important topics for parents. Uh, my, you know, obviously myself included. That um, that I would love to know a lot more about, and I realize that we, we should have a part two at some point. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge is always to actually, um, zero, you know, that shit just happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and and uh, I, um, yeah, I, I, I've I've heard. A lot, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of questions have has have have arisen um, in, in 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 almost kind of that desperate fashion, right? Of, of um, as a result of the conditions, a lot a lot of questions about how how to manage um, children with screening time. You know, whether whether this this pandemic has damaged children, um, and um, just also just generally has confronted parents with with some of their um un, maybe undeveloped skills um so thought we'd kind of go go through those one by one together so that that parents can hopefully with the goal that parents leave or even prospective parents maybe you know um because after right. pandemic some perspective uh, people who are considering their parents might have some um questions right um some doubts. Right. Um, so yeah, one by one, starting with, um, which uh, the one that I get a lot of questions, uh, around and, and parents of, as I work with couples, a lot of parents, um, have a lot of conflict and di- dis, um, discord and, uh, different ideas about how to, how to manage screen time. So let me just start out with your general, your, your general big picture view on it. Um, after all years of working with families. Yeah. So I would say I, we're probably all, I'm a mom myself who's juggling uh, homeschooling, running my business, working with clients and, and with time with my husband and running a house. Uh, so I'm, of course, personally aware of uh, how screen time has become uh, such a, a necessary part of pandemic life. Uh, for not just for entertainment purposes, but for school. Uh, the uh, One of the things, I'll just start off by saying that one of the, the challenges that families have been facing the last year is how to fill up the day. In the absence of uh, caregivers, teachers, nannies, neighbors, babysitters, school, preschool, uh, parents have had to fill up their days in a lot of different ways. So just to cut to the meat of it, I basically, my MO the last year has been to say to parents, do what works best in terms of screen time. Mm 
And then let's revisit the use of screen time. So let's say last March, 2020, that was a big question we were getting. How do we juggle screen time if our kids are on Zoom classes for four or five hours a day? Because we had kindergartners, first graders who are on Zoom from eight to three or eight to two every day. So parents, we were all faced with this task of trying to figure out a sweet spot for screen time. The take home has been that the kids that were that we've expected to struggle with screen time, i.e. they're on screens all day and they're not getting a break from screen time, we saw pretty quickly, like they, their systems let us know very quickly via behavioral changes that uh, they were overwhelmed by the screen time. The feedback was needed. If we ever needed like clear feedback on how behaviors change by a lot of exposure to screen time. So some of the things that we saw pretty quickly were sleep issues that had largely gone away. The sleep issues returned, difficulty falling asleep, a lot of nighttime waking. We saw an increase in uh, rage, in particular five, six, seven, eight-year-olds who perhaps didn't even have a history of that. They would just have these outbursts of rage after being on extended periods of screen time during the day. Refusal to eat, regressions in potty learning, increase in temper tantrums, impulse control issues, depression. I'm sharing all this with you not to, it's, it's really sad to think about, but it was like a, a quick response. The kids did what we expected them to do, which was like, hey guys, I can't do Zoom calls all day for school. I'll pause there in case you have any questions. Yeah, I, 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 you probably addressed this, but maybe so I'm maybe jumping again. But it just, um, I guess, the neurobiological therapist in me is like, what is going on neurobiologically? Like, what's your theory, or what do we know about what's going on that's cre- that's creating those that 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 um, those, those behavioral changes as a result? Sure. It, you know, in short, what's happening is that the child's brain is getting largely overwhelmed by the the input from screen time and uh, that, you know, there's, there's nothing that stops that input from coming in um, that what we know based on the research is that they're basically a sponge for that screen time. They don't have the ability like we do to turn away or take a breath or pause or self-regulate. Self-regulate means that they break from it and move on. And then if you add in the piece of a school base, oh yeah, go ahead. Their nervous system gets a a break or a a chance to reset in some way to- That's exactly right. Discharge any accrued kind of uh, tension. That's exactly what was happening. And it's probably why the AAP, American Academy of of Pediatrics, recommends no screen time for kids zero to two. Of course, you know, we know that kids are on screen time, age zero to two. And in the absence of good recommendation for kids two and over, well, you know, lockdown, remote school changed everything because kids were on screen time all day. So we were all part of this natural experiment, particularly our kids, with what I think is an overwhelmed nervous system. Uh, 
their ability to self-regulate and to uh, pull away from the screen content is not developed. They don't have the ability. It's not there. And then if you add in the piece where they have to stay on the screen because they're getting a grade or they have to be present because they have to read or interact with the content, that it's a school-based curriculum and screen time. Uh, I mean, it was a heartbreak for sure. A lot of parents asked me, and we did a lot of consults around those behaviors, but we also did a lot of consults with parents who were learning to advocate for their kids for the first time. That they needed to, to really work through how to uh, set limits around screen time um, that involved the school. I'm sure this is, you know, so it wasn't just about just the screen time itself. It was like parents were starting to like, well, wait a second, this behavioral issue isn't because my kid's a bad kid. It's because they've just been on Zoom all day. How can I self-advocate for my kid and help them set some limits? So it's a complicated answer, except to say that kids don't have the ability to turn away from that content. And they just don't have the ability to self-regulate. And so they take it all in. And and what are you finding? What have been some, you know, some interventions you've used with families to limit and to maybe maybe we'll just pick like a a six or seven year old or maybe right. later that that can actually really engage in in sort of collaborative problem solving sort of. Um, yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of those. Yeah, a lot of those with, with the yeah. children figuring it out together. What? Yes, so it, it, some of it involved the parents stepping in and having to set limits uh, with, with the child's school. Uh-huh. That was like a first step was just to say, hey, uh, my kid is raging for two hours every evening after being on Zoom classes all day. They, they've never done this before. This is not good for my child. Can we create a subcurriculum that isn't dependent upon screen time? Can we pick and choose some curriculum that we participate on Zoom, but my child can then take a break and participate in other ways? So, some of, so to answer your question, some of it was, was a matter of trying to figure out, hey, instead of six hours a day of Zoom, how about just two hours a day of Zoom screen? And do you have a do you have a tier? I'm I'm wondering like whether you, whether there's it's just all the same some level. I mean, right? I mean, there's there's certain screen time that's gonna be like that's gonna be more overwhelming. Like if, if it's if it's on Zoom and there maybe there are other their friends there and they're interacting, right? That different than watching SpongeBob, like right? I mean, it's in there just passive screen time. So yeah, what's the so what's yeah, so I'm not familiar with any research that shows how brain activity is impacted or how it looks in relationship to, say, passive versus interactive, like a video game versus, say, a show. Uh, what I generally do when it comes to working with a parent that's looking to set limits with screen time, which we're doing a lot of those consultations, is to ask the parent about the child's behavior around screen time. For example, uh, some specific questions would be, how does the child disengage from screen time? How do they end the screen time? Do they have some level of self-control and self-management where if the parent 
gives them some transition cues to end screen time, the child can adjust and adapt. And without a big blow up or big emotion, the child can end the screen time. So a really simple exercise with say a six or seven year old would be giving transition cues, five minutes, three minutes, one minute, and then the child turns it off themselves. Is the child able to do that? It's like a really easy litmus test, right? Um, And for some children, they're just not. They have a big emotional response every single time they're asked to turn it off. And then the parent has to step in and turn it off because the child is struggling with disengaging. Generally speaking, the the material and the research shows that if your child is having that kind of difficult response with the end of screen time, it means that you probably want to do less screen time with them, which is fairly straightforward, that they may need even more moderation and parent help with screen time and more limits around screen time. Right. And, and what have you found to be, I mean, I imagine this is just, I mean, this is our ongoing big question, right? But like, if you are uh, trying to balance all the many things you are as a parent work-wise and, and just household care and, um, and you don't have the screen to turn to, like, what, what do you develop? What, what, what's, what are the alternatives? Yeah, this is a, this is a question that I, uh, deal with myself as a mom. And then of course, clients are asking this question a lot. There's going to be a period of detox. If you are coming off a lot of screen time with your child, simply through survival and and juggling way too many things in your life through pandemic, lockdown, working from home, raising kids, uh, imagine that your child may have a period of detox for a couple weeks. Detox meaning that their, their brain needs that hit. That three or four or five-year-old has become accustomed to having the iPad and getting that hit where their attention is fully absorbed in the screen. And so it's about two weeks that we find that withdrawal process from screen time. And it's a, a very sensitive time, both for the child and the parent, where the parent has to resource well which basically means that as the child is withdrawing, which could be tantrums, screaming fits, hitting the parent, acting out, uh, that the parent has to stay fairly grounded and self-regulated and patient and calm, which seems fairly obvious, but it's tough to do if that well is pretty dry right now with a lot of other stressors. So it, we have to really, you know, each time we're working with a parent around limit setting and screen time, I ask the parent, do you, are you up for this right now? Do you have the bandwidth for this? Some parents right now don't. They just simply say, I just don't. I'm, I'm, I just don't. So it's a, parent, it's a question that every parent wants to ask themselves. If you are going to start doing some limit setting around screen time, ask yourself if you have the bandwidth for about a week or two of your child having some adjustment to it. And then so, what, what is it used to replace it? Like, cause it's like an so, addiction, right? I mean, this time of year is great. It's sunny. Yeah. Working in the summer. So, you know, here's the short list. Find what gives your child joy. There's, there's a list of things that gives your child joy apart from screen time. So the short list would be, uh, outdoor activity, nature play outings, something where they can, you know, go swimming, and run around, go hiking, go exploring. You want to find the thing that gives them joy. 
And so if your child doesn't like to get dirty and they don't like to be in the mud, that's just not the thing you're going to be doing. But if they do love hunting for treasures, go for a treasure hunt. Look for shells and rocks and cool leaves and bugs. But find the thing that gives them joy. Arts and crafts are a great thing. So what I've been asking parents to do is to get an art cart. It's You can find them at your local. Yeah, you've got them too. Um, it's just a little cart on wheels with little drawers. And we actually have the child participate in filling out the art cart with crafting items. Now they have a personal connection to the thing that's going to give them some joy, some fun. It's theirs. We see four-year-olds love this activity. You can go to your local crafting store, or if you're not going to stores yet, find it online, wait for it in the mail. Has Have the sequence arrived yet? The glue, the paper, the construction paper. And then this art cart has about 10 drawers and they get to put it away in each drawer. Watch as your child organizes and puts their art and crafts items away. And that gives them joy. And now they can come back to it and play with it instead of the screen time. Baking, cooking is a great thing to do. And you don't have to be a great chef to do this. Just bake some banana bread with your kiddo or homemade applesauce or what, again, that food that your child really loves, bake it at home. I mean, some of this stuff takes work. And again, the question is, do you have the bandwidth to do this right now? Mm-hmm. Set up the tent in your backyard. If y'all have a backyard, camp outside with your child. This is a great time of year to detox from the screens and schools are ending. If your child has been doing remote learning, uh, my favorite is just to, to, to get kids outside mm-hmm. and change that routine, change that expectation. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I was just thinking about how the parents could also probably use some detox at this point. Right. So it's absolutely you're right. If, you know, one has, the parent has to really uh, earn it, you know, sincerely ask themselves, is this a moment? Am I ready? And then what do I need personally to also, support my own right because I mean I can see myself I can see many parents sort of just um yeah you know glued to their phone or um their their laptop and uh it takes a it takes a a certain initiative and commitment to to really recalibrate the whole system but it's it's certainly such a such an a a gift to the family system to, to, to do that. It is. It really is. Yeah, I agree. It's a little bit of work, but the payoff is great. I want to add one other point, especially if you have a four-year-old and older is to prep them for it. They're kind of like us. They do really well with transition cues. Like they know what's coming up. So if you're going to get rid of the screen time, the free access to the iPad, let them know You just sit down with them. Let them, you know, you've been having a lot of time on the iPad, watching your shows, playing your games. It's been a little bit of a different time. Yeah, with COVID, everybody's been at home and we've all been using iPads and computers and phones a lot more. And and then that's going to change. We're going to say bye-bye to iPad. We're not going to be using it much anymore. We're going to put it away in this special drawer over here. And you're going to be my big helper helping put it away. It'll go here and it only comes out if we're going to use it for this or this. You choose the things you want to use it for. But you basically give them a little story, a little prep to let them know that that change is coming. Just to get them ready for it. So that when you do get to that 
day that you're going to start the screen time detox and increase the limit setting, your child knows. Right. And part of that story is also instead of doing, doing that, we're going to be spending right. more time. We're going to be having some every Friday night. We're going to be camping outside. And That's it. That's it. The new We're going to do camp out and look at fireflies and make s'mores. Can you help me go to the store today and get the makings for the s'mores? You're a great helper. And you know right where the graham crackers are and the marshmallows are. Right. So it's, it's that buy-in that you're, that yeah. you're that partnership, that buy-in top down. Okay. No more screens right. now. That's right. That. And you could see, you know, it sometimes happens that we get a little bit sad when we have to say goodbye to something we like, like the iPad. Yeah. It's been such a big part of our lives. Yeah. I might, I'm going to miss mine too. You know, bye-bye iPad. <laughs> bye-bye. Y'all even have the child wave bye-bye the iPad and they'll start to cry. <laughs> bye-bye bye-bye you've been a big helper there were a lot of games we played on you thank you ipad for being uh-huh. such a big helper we don't need you so much anymore yeah we're very grateful to you for all your help when we did need to have your help with games and shows and things thank you thank you bye-bye now the child gets a little closure around that thing that it seems silly but for them it's so real and and then it lessens that emotional detox because they got to have some closure. They got to have the buy-in. They got to have some control, really, because mm-hmm. kids crave control. They're like us. Right. Right. Now they get to have that little bit of control to say goodbye to that thing that they really did like a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a valid experience to feel like it's unfair if it's just simply taken yeah. away. That's right. That's right. That's right. Without an explanation, without anything to really replace it. Yes. Yeah, and I'd throw a tantrum too. <laughs> Especially if the parent was like handing it to him for the last year saying, oh, yeah, right. iPad. I, got, I have a work call. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. I think that's going to be really, really helpful to me. It's going to be really helpful to many. Yeah. Um, so I want to transition us to this uh, question that, uh, or this topic that um, I think is going to be, I think is really. Um, I think it's going to be really, I don't know, um, heartening uh, to parents. And that's what you were mentioning before um, before we jumped on here about, about resiliency and about um, the fact that children actually are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for. And I just want to invite you to speak freely about this topic of resiliency. I want just introduce this topic by saying that um, we are, you know, we're talking about resiliency and stressors through pandemic. And as I introduce that topic and the, uh, what I'm about to say, I also want to keep in mind that there were families that had a, a great amount of adjustment and transition that they went through uh, and without much resources over the last year. Uh, so with that being said, I've had a lot of parents ask me, well, how much stress, pandemic stress, can we go through? Can my child go through without negatively affecting them or harming them? Um, is it all bad? And, uh, area of great interest 
that I have just found to be a, a juicy, uh, interesting parenting topic and, 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 and clinical topic is uh, adaptability and flexibility in our kids. And how, uh, you know, how are we teaching our kids? How are we presenting them with scenarios where they struggle and they're uncomfortable and they have to work their edges of discomfort and they have this emotional range that they work through. Um, so with that in mind, my sense of the pandemic is that it has been um, a period of time for many kids to work that edge, that struggle, and develop resiliency. Bearing in mind that there's also families that were didn't have many resources and had really grave, distressing challenges and adjustments they had to make. And those families I'm gravely concerned about in terms of resiliency for those kids. Um, they may have had great lack of resources, no shelter, no food, uh, parents who became quite disabled and sick or, uh, perhaps not due to COVID, but just through mental health stress. And that those would be clusters of families and kids that I'm greatly concerned about when it comes to resiliency. Yeah. I appreciate so I want to just say that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to suggest that all kids are going to come out of this unscathed and in particular resources are the access to resources um, and, and having uh, parents that were resourced, kept their jobs, had a safe place to live, access to food and medicine. Um, those families I believe are going to fare pretty well. I, I, that's my sense. So I see this uh, as an opportunity for kids to, to have had an edge of struggle and discomfort and that we're going to come out on the other side of this with kids having learned something about themselves. And, and how, how, how would you kind of coach parents even in the moment? I mean, I guess I get it's kind of general, but around, around how to, I don't know how to keep that in mind or what, 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 what does that look like on the ground for parents, you know, um, specifically, or do you have an example? Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm thinking of is the, you know, in terms of like flexibility and adaptability, this would be a typical scenario that I saw in a lot of parents would be kids that were, having big feelings about not seeing friends, not going to school. Um, those would be some big ones that we saw. Feeling scared about COVID. Feeling scared um, that their families would get sick, that loved ones would get sick, that they could get sick. Uh, so we use those as opportunities for parents to talk to their kids. You know, we really worked with parents to teach them and, uh, uh, beneficial ways to talk with their kids about their worry thoughts. So that'd be a big example that we saw anxiety and worries really increasing kids. And previously, perhaps we just saw that in a small segment of the child population. But now we really saw that increase. So we really were working with parents to give them an opportunity to, Hey, 
this is an opportunity for you to sit with your kid and, and welcome to being a human. There's some scary stuff out there. So we, you know, this was kind of like this invitation to parents, like, let's talk about worry thoughts. And what are you feeling? And what are you thinking about? So it was like empowering parents. Part of the work we did was to empower parents to sit with their kids' uncomfortable feelings. And then doing so, like the pandemic gave this opportunity. It was like right there for parents to sit with it, with their kids. Um, and we could arm parents with some of the um, skills and tools for how to do that with their kids, sit with them through those uncomfortable feelings. That in that moment, the child starts to understand um, that their feelings are safe to share. And that having feelings, all those myriad of feelings were in particular worry thoughts is what we call them. Anxiety, worry thoughts, um, is part of being in a body. So normalizing those fears. So it was like, you know, here was like the typical kinds of worry thoughts and the segments of kids that were having them. And then the pandemic just ramped it right up, ramped it right up. And we, you know, one of the things that we saw for families on the West Coast that they were through pandemic, but then they went through wildfires. And I mentioned it because we saw the worry and anxiety in those kids. Again, I call them worry thoughts because I think it's, the child doesn't understand what anxiety means. But worry thoughts, let's explain what worry means. So we saw that combination of the lockdown pandemic and then lockdown from wildfire. And the worry thoughts really increased for these children. So by July, August, September of last year, we had a lot of kid, children on the West Coast that were really full of worry. And a lot of parents who themselves were full of worry saying, hey, what do I do? I, I'm barely in my body. I'm so freaked out. I can't go outside. It's smoky all the time. But we've been locked in. How do I help my kid? How do I show up for my kid right now, for my child? So... So the best thing that w the best tool that we had available for those parents was to give to give them a, just a practice around their own mindfulness, like their body regulation, a roving body check to see how they were feeling. And then <laughs> parents had to work really hard because so many of them were just so worried themselves. But a little roving body check and some mindfulness around. Okay, slowing down, breath work. Many practices or exercises for uh, connecting to feelings in the stomach, the heart, tight areas in the body. Because those are easy exercises to do with kids as well. So then the parents could teach the roving body check and the breath work to the child. And then help their child with that difficult feeling. All to say that this took a parent being fairly grounded and resourced with a lot of their own worry thoughts to do that for their child. But if the parent was able to do that, it was a lesson in resiliency. That's exactly what resiliency looks like is sitting with that struggle or difficult feeling and um, breathing through it and finding an ally or support or resource, perhaps in the caregiver, or perhaps it's holding a teddy bear or looking at a beautiful picture of something or looking at the child looks at their favorite toy. So that resiliency loop gets got really fed over and over and over again for those families that were under a lot of stress. And again, I want to emphasize that some families, 
simply didn't have the resources to do that. And my heart breaks for those families. My heart breaks that there's going to be families that come out of this uh, with deep scars. Yeah. Yeah. And hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I really appreciate that distinction. And you're kind of making the distinction between what is um, trauma and stress. Right. Like the, the stress that, that can be unfolded into a, an individual or a family um, and turned into, into growth, into strengthening, into skill development, or what, what's just too much to, you know, um, to, to handle. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's a fairly big topic. Uh, and I, and I, and I, I do have some concerns. I'll, I'll leave you with this working with clients around the country going through COVID and then that additional stressor of wildfires on the West coast, we'd certainly observed a level of, of anxiety for West coast families that I've simply never seen before in my 25 years of working with families. Yeah. 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 Me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, a, it was a, it's, and still is for many families kind of an all hands on deck or just That's all it. resources brought to bear to, to bring, That's to it. regulate the system as much as possible. That's it. Yeah. And I, I suspect that as the wildfire situation continues, and I know we're here to talk about pandemic, but I feel like those were interrelated for West coast families. Sure. Uh, that, yeah, those families are going to need an extra level of support mm-hmm. and resource. Oh, that was, that was wonderful. Really helpful. Yeah. Um, and so on to our, our third topic today, um, which I'm excited about learning more about, and that's about, um, how parents can help, how parents are learning through the, through the pandemic have been, um, been put in a position to, uh, better, um, hopefully better learn how to, how to stay with their children as they complete their cycles. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, you know, one of the, so I've been doing this work with families for 25 years. I, I'm going to be 50 in a couple years. I became a mom at 39. I did things backwards. I started working with families first and then I became a mom and it's been just awesome. It's just so eye opening. And one of the things I've come to appreciate as a mother that has really fed my practice is staying with the cycles of discontent, big emotions, uh, misunderstandings, uh, missteps with our kiddos, with our children. This, this stuff is ripe for um, really great growing, not just for a parent, but for our kiddo, for our little ones. It's, a, it's become a huge part of my practice, having experienced it so deeply as a mother. Uh, and one of the things I have observed working with parents is that many parents, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use the word outsource, a lot of parents don't feel like they're very well equipped to be the emotional conduit and, and teacher for their children. And it's hard work, let's face it. 
And what I've noticed is that a lot of parents are like, well, the preschool teacher is really good at it. I'm not. Or the, uh, my child's kindergarten teachers get at it. Or the, the, our nanny's great with our child. She's really great. I'm not so great. I can't do that thing when they get upset. I don't know how to talk like that. Or, or perhaps I don't want to. I've had a lot of a big work day. The pandemic, families were cut off from the village. They didn't have the grandparents or babysitters or preschool. They were working remotely. Parents were working remotely. And the parents were alone with their kids 24-7. And if it had just been a month or two of lockdown, they might have just kind of gone through it and it was over and they could get the village back. But it wasn't. That, you know, it, By May, parents, we all knew, hey, we're in this. <laughs> this is not just going away. So a lot of parents had to work that muscle, work that edge of these, what I call the cycle of discontent, this, the tough cycle of parenting, which is where you work with your child through these difficult edges. Perhaps your child got upset because they wanted something from you and you set a limit and you didn't give it to them. And they had a big emotional outburst. And now the parent has to, day after day through pandemic, work through that difficult emotion with their child. So they get to pick it up the next day and say, you remember yesterday when you wanted your iPad? And I said, we weren't having iPad at dinner. And you got really mad, huh? You were really upset. I can understand where you were. You really like your iPad, but we don't have iPad at dinner. And you said some not so nice things to me. Yeah. It really hurt my heart when you said that. Now parents... We're coming back to these moments of discontent, these rifts, these struggles with their kiddos and coming back to it and working through it and staying on that cycle, meaning that they were having these opportunities with their kids to talk about their child's behavior and their emotions day after day after day. That's hard work. That's the tough work of parenting. Let's be honest. You know, in a given week, we would like to just do that job a little, a lot less, (laughs) But therein is the nugget of growth for our kiddos. Therein is like, that's the stuff. So the pandemic was an opportunity for parents to be with their kids every single day and work those edges and become hopefully masters and, uh, and perhaps see that they have great potential and they're great teachers and mentors and helping their child stick with big emotions, tough moments, and sticking to setting the limit with their child and picking up the piece the next day and working through it. So we saw a lot of that, but uh, that family, that parents uh, started, they, we saw some increased confidence. They had to, they were forced to. Mm-hmm. You know, at first they were like, I don't think I want this job. This is tough. We had a lot of parents that were uh, really overwhelmed by it because they had, again, they have the village or surrogates to step in and do that work of emotionally, the emotional work of working through those tough moments with their child. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it's because I'm more an adult therapist. I, I kind of also then see how it, how it uh, accelerates their own, their own personal growth or a relationship to self or ability to self-empathize self-regulate because if they're not they they're not developing that skill then they can't 
regulate the child and actually listen to them though. It's that's right. Yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of us, right. I mean, I'm curious what do you think about this is that you know, like a, a, a lot, a lot of us are, ha- are having like our jet, I want to say our generation, like for, you know, forties, fifties are yeah. probably the whole of <laughs> modern parents right now are, are, are having are repatterning a lot in terms of like um, actually uh, defaulting towards empathy or mm-hmm. towards, um, at least just space holding for the child's emotion versus a, a, a quick reactive mm-hmm. um, I don't know response that we most many of us most of us arguably got when we were that makes sense like absolutely that whole internal absolutely work yeah oh it absolutely makes sense and there's a a paradigm shift in uh understanding that uh, emotions matter you know that that we've got great data and science and research to show hey mental health issues that adults are facing have a connection to a preverbal stage. And parents are savvy enough in reading this information and curious and also care. They want parenting tools that help them to sit with their child's discomfort or big feelings. If you just go even to Instagram for a day and look at all the parenting tips that parents are getting, uh, just just spend an hour scrolling through. It's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. This is, I mean, the, 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 the parenting suggestions that parents are getting every day, very simple, very sweet about listening to their child and sitting with their child and holding the child's feelings and breathing through it. Uh, and that alone is great feedback. If a parent just spends an hour on Instagram and sees that several times and gets that feedback that that's important, it'll change parenting. We see this across the world. Like I said, this is not just happening in specific big cities or specific states. We're working with clients across the world that care about this. And one of my greatest moments of pride as a a clinician these days and parent coach is a a parent from India that says this, when I was growing up in India, we were taught not to talk about our feelings. They weren't important. I want this to be different for my child. I mean, the world is going to change a lot if, you know, if, if this is happening across the world and it is, you know, I want my child to feel seen and heard and I want my child to know I love them. I didn't get that. My culture, it, we didn't have that experience in my childhood and my culture doesn't support that. Uh, it's not important. Other things are important. The family is important, but my feeling of my emotions as a child, my feeling of being seen and heard wasn't important. And I want my child to know that I'm there for them. How do I do that? And, you know, that's not happening in just one session. That's daily, weekly sessions. So there's this interesting thing happening where perhaps it's tech and social media and access to this, you know, like this, why this worldwide community of parenting where parents are waking up and saying, we want things to be different. So the pandemic really that up fast 
you know, it was as if, all right, you're going to, it is going to be different. You're going to be all alone with your child every single day. And you're, you're now you're going to drop in. You are going to get a PhD level training <laughs> who your child is, what they need. It's going to be trial by fire. But this is it. This is what it looks like. And we've, I saw a lot of parents meet that challenge. At first they were kicking and screaming saying, I, I can't do this. Where's, where's my crew? Somebody else is better at this. But then after a couple months, we're like, okay, I think I can learn how to do this. I'm going to, I have to. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah it is. I mean, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking though about the, the parents that might be out there that might be like, you know, actually I feel, I look back on this last year and I feel like I didn't do that. I actually failed at that. I, I was such, I was so such a stress case and I was, you know, and I'm, you know, that might be holding a lot of shame and um, like the failure around mm. not doing what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. I, my sense is that uh, a lot of parents are carrying guilt as well. And, and then talking with parents, you know, we certainly see parents that had a lot of outbursts and meltdowns and freakouts in front of their child. Uh, and, and they had moments of great connection with their child too. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the general feedback about parenting. Yeah, I wonder if there isn't, you know, like something just so, I don't know, just so very instructive about that for the children. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, if it's in small measure, I suppose, but that if there's a periodic, like I, I lose it too, or, you know, and then I come back and I acknowledge it and I repair it. And you're absolutely right, Ryan. And, you know. I think you're totally right. With anything, it. Yeah, I invite those parents to look at moments when they had connection with their child. Sometimes we focus on the shame and the guilt. And we remember those moments, those missed moments or the tough moments. Uh, but I suspect, I could be wrong, but I suspect that there are also moments of connection. Surely. Maybe they lasted five minutes. Maybe that's all the bandwidth the parent had. Maybe all the parent could do was just show up for bedtime. And that was it. That was the, the amount of bandwidth they had for that emotional connection. And that was good enough. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's, I love your approach in terms of just really acknowledging like the, the fact that different parents have different bandwidths and it's just a reality yeah. there. Who know maybe they have chronic pain maybe you know you know maybe yes. maybe they are working two jobs i mean whatever it is um or they are carrying a lot of trauma from their childhood and it's just it's, you're right you just have a certain amount of bandwidth and that's right and there's it, it, what i hear in that too is that you you really want them to to build on on what they are doing 
you know, because otherwise it's just demoralizing and they're not going to have space to grow and learn from people like you or whoever. Um, Right. And think about, yeah, I love what you're saying because they're, you know, really encourages the parent to think about what works for them and their family. Every family so 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 unique. You know, such their own combination of resources. You know that they have to. That's right. Identify and double down on and build on. That's right. This has been so great, Angelique. Um, just as oh, we thanks, close Ryan. here, do do you um, do you have any kind of closing words for the parents out there? Maybe your own version of a little little pep talk as we. Hopefully, seemingly. Oh yeah. Out of out of pandemic. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to say to the parents out there? Well, uh, this has been so much fun. Thank you again for inviting me on. You're just a great interviewer, so appreciate it. Uh, my suggestion, my homework assignment for everybody I'm talking to these days is to get out. And, and do uh, whatever feels like safe socializing, safe traveling. But in the absence of, of that uh, changing environment, and we were in lockdown the last year, uh, what, what grows a great brain is to get out and have these rich new experiences. And we know this, that, okay, we kind of all got a little starved. So I'm encouraging everybody to get out in whatever shape or fashion feels safe. Um, but to get out, get out to nature, find a play group of, of friends. I mean, everybody's going to define this a different way now. Uh, there'll be this period of time. I, I asked you the question at the very beginning, uh, what's more difficult, lockdown or reentry? And there could be this period of time as, as some folks reenter and their kids reenter where there's a lot of worries. We're seeing a lot of a lot of children who are who want to keep their masks on. Uh, yeah, uh, if even in a safe playdate or pod setting, uh, but they're really worried. We're seeing we're certainly seeing that in a lot of kiddos, and so I'm asking parents to just exposure therapy get out. Mm-hmm. And we're hearing from parents that have done that that they're surprisingly the parents were very worried as a mom myself i get it they were worried that their children will have had issues with socializing talking to other people fear of strangers fear of the environment guess what happened none of that none of that you know certainly there were some kids that they crossed the other side of the street if they saw someone walking to them without a mask on and they felt safe but they adapted they said, all right, I don't want to be on that sidewalk with a non-masked person, but I'm going to go to the other sidewalk because I want to be outside still. And we saw children who hadn't interacted or socialized. The parents are letting me know we went out for a hike today. My child talked to every stranger on the hiking trail. <laughs> I said, were they like that before the pandemic? They said, yeah. And it didn't stop. They were still like that. They, they still were like that. So get out. Just exposure therapy basically means that you just, you, you expose yourself to the world with your child and all the beautiful, challenging aspects of reentry and take notice of your child's adaptability and flexibility in the light of reentry. 
you might be surprised. We've certainly seen with so many children, they're highly resilient and adaptable and flexible. And they're ready to socialize and interact and take on the world again. Yay, that's a great message. So uh, Angelique, where can people find you? Your website, I'll put in the show notes, but just for people just kind of listening, where can we find you? Uh, AngeliqueMillette.com, A-N-G-E-L-I-Q-U-E-M-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.com. I offer pediatric sleep consultations for zero to age eight. And then I offer uh, parent coaching and collaboration because I do believe it's highly collaborative when working with parents. They've got great intuition and we want to pull that out. Uh, so parent coaching and collaboration, uh, those are consultations as well. We can do everything telehealth. That's awesome. I can personally attest you're just a wonderful coach. Yes. Oh, thank you, Ryan. And thanks again for having me. You're fantastic. Oh. Keep, keep this up. You're so good. Great. Well, it's a, it's a joy. It's a, it's a win-win all around. And I, I really do believe this is going to be very helpful to parents in this moment in our, in our crazy journey together as humanity. <laughs> it is. It is a crazy journey. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Until next time. Yes. Take good care. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Uh, definitely going to have her back on the show. I think um, she's just a great teacher. Uh, I just can't wait to ask her more questions um, for my own benefit and uh, imagine for your benefit as well. Um, so you saw, you heard where to, where to contact her. That's also in the show notes. Uh, she's got some great programs and offerings and I look forward to, uh, continuing to offer these podcasts to you and other material. You can go to my Facebook page, Ryan Ginn coaching and join, join conversations and ask questions here to support you and your parenting and your coupling all your other relationship adventures. All right. Take care, everyone.